You ready? Yeah. You ready? All right, hold on. Here we go. What's going on, everyone? This is the My Aggie Nation podcast. I'm Travis Brown with the Eagle alongside a, a, a member of the show. Uh, we haven't been so good at having him on here. It's Zach Taylor, WTAW. Zach, how's it going, buddy? Doing pretty good. I would, no, you just had your finger up there, so I was going to... Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, oh, oh no, I no. see, I see. No, not that. There, there we oh, go, okay. there we go. Okay, well, there... There. Okay. For for those of you who are listening, we're trying to do like the, what is it, the Sistine Chapel thing with, I have with no God idea. and man yes. touching the, fingers. I have the hand of God and you have the hand this of makes, David. It makes for is, great radio. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, uh, ha- great to have you back on the show here. Uh, Thanks, buddy. You're, you're, a, you're, you're a father now. How is that yeah. going? I think we, I think we have podcasted since that happened. That's yeah, been over that's a probably year, true. For sure. Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm dealing with a, uh, I guess he's technically a toddler now, uh, and he is walking and he's going all over the place. So, um, yeah, it's, it's crazy. And then you, of course, are a married man now. I know that yeah. we haven't podcasted since that went down. I'm, I'm hitched. Um, yeah. And you had the audacity, the audacity, the unmitigated gall to get married on the same day as my son's first birthday. So I, uh, did, did you smash, did you smash cake? We smash caked in honor of you guys. Okay, good. good. So that's we all I like, really this care is, about. This is for Travis and his wife. And then the baby just <laughs> down smashing it. He was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, well, I'm sure this is exactly what the listeners want to hear about. Um, well, but I, honestly, it, it might be better than what's been going on on, on the football field. Um, yeah, no what, joke. What, what, uh, what, how, how do you... Uh, wrap your mind around this season so far? Well, it's just been a one big snowball, one thing after another, right? I mean, it starts with Appalachian State. Actually, I would even go before that. It starts with the whole uh, musical chairs that Jimbo had going on with his assistant coaches. Uh, you know, and that might get kind of lost in the shuffle, literally and figuratively here. But, you know, you remember back at the beginning of the fall, suddenly it's, Jimbo comes out and says, oh, yeah, by the way, we're moving this coach from this position to this position. We're going to move this coach here, this coach there. And that was a little bit, I believe, especially looking at it now, that was a bit of a red flag because you're sitting there going, you're, you're, you're changing all of these things up. This is already supposed to be set in stone. These guys are supposed to be, uh, you know, where they're at. And now you're making all these moves right before you begin the season. That that's kind of, to me, I think that's somewhat of a reflection of how discombobulated things might have been at the time. And so then you go into the season, you get a really rusty performance against Sam Houston State, but everybody does attribute that to rust. And then, boom, Appalachian State hits you. And then suddenly it just starts, as I said, snowballing from there. You go from there to now you're losing games that you should be winning uh, and and you're you're losing faith with the fan base. You're wondering if players are starting to jump off board now. You've got guys, you know, getting suspended multiple times throughout the season. Jimbo Fisher, for the first time really since he's arrived at Texas A and M, uh, is is in hot water. And I'm I'm not saying that as saying he's on the hot seat. He's not going anywhere anytime soon because of that massive buyout. But he's he's upsetting a lot of people in the fan base on a lot of big time boosters for the first time since arriving. And there's really no excuses for the way that A&M has performed. And given all the things that have happened in the off season and getting this, 
really heralded recruiting class. Now you've got some members of that recruiting class that are repeat offenders and getting suspended. Uh, guys like Denver Harris and Chris Marshall, how many strikes do they get before they're finally kicked off the team? And yeah, this team, this team is pretty lost right now. Uh, offensively, you know, you bring Jimbo Fisher in. He's supposed to be the offensive guru, right? He's the quarterback whisperer. We talked about that when he initially got hired. And he's supposed to kind of write this ship. Well, the the thing that Jimbo really is in charge of and is hands-on more than anything is offense and quarterback play. And neither one of those have been good this season. And at this point, you're kind of saying, well, Jimbo, where, where, where are we going to contribute here? Where, where are you going to start kind of picking up your end of the slack, I guess? Um, A&M's lost three in a row. They're off to their worst start since 2008. Uh, at three and four, they're in danger of possibly missing out on a, on a, uh, a postseason bowl bid for the first time since 2008. Um, so things, things are not going well for Texas A&M. And you're wondering too, with that heralded recruiting class, all that talent that came on board, is it going to stick around? Or are these guys going to hit the transfer portal as soon as the season is over? I think you do have time to write this ship in the way of you've got old mess coming into town. If you were somehow able to knock off the rebels um, and you look at the rest of the schedule, I think all of those games are pretty winnable and you could end up the season at eight and four, but you've got to get some changes. You've got to be able to figure th things out. I was thinking they were going to do that after the bye week. I thought, all right, they've got some time. They can take their collective breath. They can readjust some stuff, get, get ready to go for the second half swing. And then they come out against South Carolina and it's like, they never even got off the bus. Like, like so, a baseball player stepping out of the batter's box. Got to just readjust some stuff. Yeah. Yeah, you yeah. get out and you do some of those Jim Schlossnagel adjustments. You know, you take a deep breath, you look out in the outfield, you, you ponder the meaning of life for a little while, and then you get back in the batter's box and you're ready to go. Uh, but it, it's not been... Um, it hadn't been good, Travis. I, I, think, I think we could just kind of sum, sum it up like that. It ain't been good. Uh, and if they well, come if that, out and... If that's the case, I want the last like five minutes of my life back now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I'm just saying all of that, all of that rambling and all that ranting to surmise it, it ain't been good. Uh, and if they come out and lay a complete goose egg against Ole Miss at home on Saturday, then it's going to get even worse. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not too uh, too uh, up on. Yeah, good, good, good branding there. Good advertisement. You need a little you need to, to wet the whistle after after the, the, the monologue. I don't have my 44 farms yeti to drink out of, so <laughs> it's just a regular Dr. Pepper can for me. Sorry. So I don't have a whole lot of hope for the Aggies in, in this game this weekend. Uh, Ole Miss rushing attack, really strong. A&M's rushing defense, mm -hmm. not so strong. Better against South Carolina, not so strong. Uh, it, it just seems like they're in any part of in any of the phases of the game, they don't, they don't have a complete phase. You have a little bit of, of a running prowess with Devon A. Chain on offense, but you, your offensive line, I think, is the, the, the crux of all of the problems, really. And then quarterback is the next one. Well, and then you look at the wide receivers, and up until this last game, they haven't been able to make any catches in traffic. So all three of those have been a problem. Then on defense, you have a great defensive secondary who has the 12th best uh, pass defense in the nation, but one of the absolute worst rushing defenses in the nation. 
just can't put it together. I mean, I, I think that falls directly back then on coaching and scheme because you have the pieces there, but it's just not, it's just not gelling together. Well, the sign of craziness, I guess, uh, the sign of, of losing it up top is repeating the same thing and expecting different results, right? And we have seen that time and time again throughout this season, both on both sides of the ball, offensively and defensively. And when you're watching the game and you see, and it has not been this way for the last two games, but beforehand, when you see that there's three defensive linemen on every play defensively for A&M and the other team continues to run it up the middle and just gash the Aggies for yards. You're sitting there banging your head, wondering what is DJ Durkin thinking? He finally changed that, but I do feel like, and, and we'll be the first to tell you, I think Travis and I might know a little bit more about football than the average bear that watches on Saturdays. Now that's not tooting our own horn. That's just saying, Hey, we, we do this for a living. We watch football specifically Texas A&M football for a living. But there are plenty of people that know things that are watching games on Saturday, and they're befuddled too. And they're trying to figure out why the heck when you when you recruit so heavily on this defensive line, some of your best young talent is on this defensive line, why would you only play three at a time, three on each play, while you continue to get run over uh, by the offensive side? And so that has finally changed of these last two games, I would argue that there's been more pressure on the quarterback, even though I don't know if they didn't necessarily a great job of getting to Spencer Rattler. Um, and they did get gashed for some big yards on the ground, but I think it's certainly been better these last couple of games since they started playing the, the, the four, two, five, but all that to be said, you know, on the offensive side of the ball, I, I think what it boils down to Jimbo Fisher knows what he's doing from an offensive standpoint, but the issue is his offense is geared and curtailed for four and five year starters. We've, we've heard Jimbo wax poetically about how, oh, well, back in the day, four and five year guys, that's all you had on your starting offense. That's, that's the, that's the only guys that played were four and five year guys. Nowadays, that's just not the case. And suddenly he has this young nucleus of talent that are true freshmen, but he has not curtailed his offense to fit those guys. And frankly, I just think, and we've talked about it multiple times, I think it just goes over their head in a lot of ways. And I'll go back to, and, and I'm speaking with some people here in the office, I'll go back to the Alabama game, that final play. All right, Haynes King, and I know that they were saying they were also looking for Donovan Green on the left side to kind of throw across. He wasn't open. Alabama had that covered. So the next play was to go to Evan Stewart, corner of the end zone, and for all of that to work, Kellen Mond had retweeted it because some people were bringing up that play, talking about how that was a terrible play call. Kellen goes, no, 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 it was a good play call, but you had to have this go right, this go right, this go right, this go right, this go right. If you're looking to get all of those things at once to go correctly for your offense to work, that's going to be too complicated for most people and especially true freshmen. Well, and I'd argue that that actually makes it then not a good play call because right. your team no, is I, so I young. You. I agree with you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you, I, mean I know we're, we're ripping, open, ripping open a Band-Aid for a lot of Aggie fans and, and bringing back some, some, tra some trauma here. But the <laughs> three weeks ago. Yeah, the, I mean, Johnny Manziel tweeted him and Zach uh, Evans could have run that same route 
10 times in practice and, and hit it about, I think he said three or four times. Like it's not a high percentage play call. And I think that that's kind of been a lot of the problem. Now I will also argue, and people might want to fight me on this. The play calling in the offense was as best as it's been all season against South Carolina. Now red zone issues, but, but, and I'm not saying that it was a good offense, but I'm saying compared to what A&M's offense has been this season, South Carolina looked like a step in the right direction. If you take away the penalties and the absolute abysmal mistakes that were made, yeah, yeah. I, I think when you look at the overall play calling, at least the execution of that play calling was the best that it's been. Um, but again, I'll go back to Jimbo Fisher puts a lot on his quarterback's shoulders. He expects a lot from these guys. Haynes King in that kind of environment, around the environment in Columbia, you've got off offensive line that has been an ever-changing carousel with a lot of young guys that are dealing with the noise and false starts and everything else that goes along with it. Yeah, the play calling might have been there, but the play wasn't. And you've got to be able to make that work if you're a head coach. You've got to say, all right, my guys are not ready for this particular situation or this particular environment. We've got to curtail this. We've got to change this to where they'll be the most successful. And I agree with you. I think Overall, when you look at it, A&M outgained South Carolina in yards. That was what the first time since Sam Houston State that's mm-hmm. happened, where they have outgained the other team in offensive yards. Best first half um, uh, since Sam Houston State and best first half quarterback play since Sam Houston State as well. Yeah, and and I, I think that is certainly a positive. Um, I think coming home will change a lot of the issues that they had at South Carolina. Uh, when you've got false starts coming left and right, see, uh, you've I, got- I don't, I don't buy that either, too, because you, they, they just got back playing from Mississippi State, which wasn't necessarily like a a huge crowd, but the cowbells are as noisy as anything else. And you got back from playing at Alabama, and you know there was that one spell at Alabama where they were trying to go for it on fourth down, and they had two procedure penalties that backed them up, but really. Per- uh, illegal procedure penalties weren't necessarily a huge part of either of those games. And all of a sudden they come out and have eight against South Carolina, which, yeah, okay. It was, it was certainly louder than you probably would have expected for South Carolina because they've faced a pretty down South Carolina team the last couple of years. But I, I don't, I don't get, I mean, I think a lot of it just has to go down onto a, a really green center uh, in Matthew Wyckoff. I think that's come exactly and, what it and, is. And step about, in. What's the difference Sorry, uh, but what's the difference between Mississippi State, Alabama, and South Carolina? Bryce Foster wasn't at South Carolina. I, I just don't think they can lean on that excuse. I mean, I think you can lean on the excuse of that it was noisy and you had a green center, but it was noisy is 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 a cop out because it was noisy in Alabama. It was noisy in in Mississippi State. Well, uh, either way, but yeah, I, I I'm agreeing with you. The big difference there. Uh, on a road environment was the fact that you had Bryce Foster at center and then you had Matthew Wyckoff uh, was the guy in South Carolina. So that's something that A&M is going to have to bounce out of. Um, when you look at quarterback play, overall, you take away that interception because that obviously was was bad. But outside of that, what were your thoughts about how Haynes King played? I honestly thought he did a pretty good job. And again, I have to preface all of this by saying I'm, I'm, I'm comparing all of this uh, – 
to where they've been this season, not to what is the standard of a good offense, because I don't think you can hold A&M to that standard this season. They're, they're not a good offense, but you want to see each week taking steps in the right direction. And I do think South Carolina was a step in the right direction. Um, once you get past the first five minutes, I mean, like I said, it was the best uh, offensive output in the first half. They were over 200 yards in the first half, which is, I mean, good by good off offensive standpoint. When you look at yardage, yeah. um, Haynes King had over a hundred yards passing uh, again, best. I mean, you go back to the games, you go back to Miami where everyone said, yeah, Max Johnson did a, a pretty good job and things were, you know, they won that game. Well, he only had 50 yards passing in the first half. Uh, and, and so I think a big part of that is that up until the last half of the Alabama game, none of the wide receivers were able to make a catch in traffic. Um, even Anaya Smith only occasionally was able to catch a pass in traffic. And Evan Stewart has been able to separate himself as a guy who can do that. And Moose Muhammad at times. Uh, so you have a little bit more of, uh, some of a threat there to, to pass to, and that's helped him out a lot. I don't think that was on him. I, I think that save for that early interception, Haynes King on his own put up a performance that can win you a ball game against South Carolina. I think oh, yeah. I, I think he there was really not a whole lot from the run game when you got into the red zone and, and they probably should have run the ball that that goes back on play calling a little bit more. You know, I, I know Jimbo said on ESPN at halftime that they need to come out and establish the run and then proceeded to throw the ball. I think the next six plays or seven plays, um, and then said that those were based off of RPOs. And that goes back to putting a lot on your quarterback. Right. And having to make changes up at the line. Right, right. So I, should he take that away? Should he I, I take mean, yeah. away that? Yeah. But well, I, I, I'm agree with you. Yes and no, because I mean, you, you, some of that too is the, the defense play. It, it, it's so interconnected. I, I, I'm not as down on Haynes King as a lot of people do. And I, I also want to, go into the fact and say that Connor Wegman, there was nothing in Connor Wegman's performance that showed me that he was that much better than King. Um, I, because when he, his first drive was nothing special. And then the second one that he went out there on South Carolina was in the most ridiculous prevent defense where they had the safeties about 40 yards behind the line and the linebackers are about 25 yards behind the line or, or, or off the line. And yeah, anybody's going to rack up passing yards when you're going against the, the lengthiest zone on the face of the earth. Because what fans cannot understand is that it doesn't matter who is at quarterback right now. The offensive line is abysmal. The play calling has been suspect a lot based off of the young guys that you have. As you said, the wide receivers have had their issues. Now, I will say... I think Evan Stewart has made some some of those 50-50 ball catches. Moose Muhammad, we certainly know, has that capability. I think he's made one or two uh, before South Carolina. But, no, you don't have that big uh, guy that, you know, hey, I'm just going to chuck it up. He's going to come down with it no matter what. But there are so many parts of this offense that are not working right now. Of course, the quarterback is always going to get the blame. Um, and everybody, who, who's the most, who is the most popular guy on campus? It's when the team's losing. It's always the backup quarterback. <laughs> oh, well, if you just get this guy in there, man, this offense is going to just click like that. It's there's going to be no problem. It's going to be running up and down the field like it's like it's going to 100 miles an hour. It's going to be a completely different offense once Connor Wigman gets back there. No, it's not. No, it's not. 
As a matter of fact, I would argue, I think it's going to be even worse because he's a true freshman at this point. As talented as he is and as good as he probably will be for the Aggies, I know a lot of Aggies hope he will be, he is back there with a porous offensive line running for his life. Do you think he's going to do better with this or the guy who's been in this offense for three years? Do you think he will do better in this situation and has a little bit of that veteran savvy? Now, all that being said, Haynes has not played tremendous. He obviously has not taken care of the ball the way that he could. That was the biggest difference between he and Max Johnson is Max Johnson had been taking care of the ball. He hadn't been making huge plays. He hadn't been coming out and, and driving the offense down the field, but he at least had been keeping the ball with the Aggies and then allowing them to punt when they needed to. Haynes King, a little bit more of a gunslinger and has that chance of a turnover. But and I don't even feel like I've been necessarily defending Haynes in a lot of ways, but people have taken it that way, at least on social media and stuff, because you get these folks that absolutely believe that once you take him out and you put Connor Wigman in the freshman phenom, that this offense is going to look like it's the it like it's Tennessee all of a sudden and everything is just going to click and it's going to be wonderful and roses and suddenly nobody's going to stop a and and that's just not going to be the case. You're still going to have the same play caller. You're going to still have the same same porous offensive line. You're going to have one running back who's getting the ball the entire game. Um, and you're going to have wide receivers that, as you said, it, can they make the 50-50 catches? Sometimes they can. Sometimes they can't. So it's, it doesn't matter who's going to be back there. This offense is still going to have its struggles. You've got to be able to work with it. You've got to be able to maneuver with it. I don't think Jimbo Fisher is going to be making any changes anytime soon. I think he's going to wait till after the season is over. So at this point, you're hoping that it's going to click with these guys and they start playing above what they have these last uh, several weeks. Let's close it out with this. And here's, I think, the thing that's the most interesting to me coming into this game is there's like, you know, the, the all cliches get thrown out about AM getting to return home and getting to be in the, the friendly confines of Kyle Field. Is Kyle Field going to be as rowdy and loud as it normally is, or is, is ap- apathy going to have set in? I think, I think it will be loud. I think it will be loud. If you look at this season, as bad as A&M has played, you still have that glimmer of hope, right? That's the most dangerous thing is hope. So when Aggies look at this and say, if we went out, we finish eight and four, which is where we are pretty much every year anyways. And so we're going to the same bowl games that we have every year. Is that disappointing? Yes. But the fact that you still finished with a good season, you've got a number 15 team coming into town. It's a night game. It's near Halloween. Crazy things happen there as well. Um, I, I think that people will definitely show up. And there was a video that had been making the rounds on social media of the ticket pool and how many students were camped out in a freaking tsunami the other night as their tents are flying by, uh, waiting to pull tickets for this game. And so I, I think I think the 12th man at this point is going to show up no matter what. Now, some of the olders on the on that west side of Kyle Field might be a little bit different, but I think as far as the student section, I think they're going to be rowdy and they're going to be ready to go. And uh, any, I, I'm not big on score predictions, but do you think there's any way A&M pulls this one out? They are going to have to... Stop Ole Miss's run game. If, if Zach Evans is out, if that's a possibility, if he's still dealing with injury, that certainly helps them. Um, they're going to have to get pressure on Jackson Dart. If they can pull that off defensively, 
that will give their offense a chance. I think they're going to have to rely heavily on Devon A. Chain. What else is new? Um, if they're able to control that time of scrimmage or that that time of possession and being able to keep Ole Miss's offense off the field, I there's a very slim chance. And the fact that you all are also at home after being gone for so long, and now you're going to have a little bit re, rejuvenation underneath that home crowd. I think that is going to add some to it. Um, yeah, I, I think there is a slim, a slim glimmer of hope that A&M can pull this thing off on Saturday. I just don't see it. I don't. It's a bad matchup for A&M, and especially Ole Miss coming off a bad loss to LSU. I think it's a team that'll that'll be a little bit hungry for retribution. I think Lane yeah. Kiffin has uh, has taken some shots, and it's probably a team that they'll, they'll probably come in a little inspired to defend their coach. Uh, and I think I, I just I don't I don't see there being much of a chance. Yeah, um, you know, and, and that's kind of what I go back to. You've got the home field. That is one of the few things that's going to play in the Aggies' favor. Uh, outside of that, you got a really good Ole Miss team coming in, as you said. Lane Kiffin seems like he's seems like he's got a little uh, animosity towards Jimbo in some ways. So you wonder if that's going to he's going to bring that in there. Um, another thing that does play well on the A and M's side is the fact that DJ Durkin is familiar with Lane Kiffin's offense. Maybe not these particular players, but he's used to going up against it in practice, having been his DC. So that goes well in the Aggies' favor. Um, but if you're looking for a final score, oh, 38 17 Ole Miss. I'm not good at math, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do that. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, put it out there, huh? Yeah, well, I said I'm not I'm not interested in a score. I just want to know if you can. Okay. Chug your Dr. Pepper. I'm I'm done now. I got to oh, away. Oh, well, can you just send me one I'm at least? Listening. Oh, okay, great. Yeah, we'll we'll edit that in. Well, Zach, <laughs> buddy, it's good 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 th- this feels right. This feels like a nice a cozy chat. blanket. Yeah, yeah, we, it has been a hot minute. We so, need to do this a little uh, bit more of often. Oppressors. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, that's Zach Taylor, WTAW. Uh he will definitely be back on this soon. Next, if you're listening to the My Aggie Nation podcast, we will look at things from the old Miss side. We'll be back with that. What's going on, everyone? I'm Travis Brown with The Eagle. I'm here with uh, special guest Michael Katz of the Northeast Mississippi Daily Journal. I got all that out on the first try, and I'm excited about that. Michael, how's it going, man? Can't complain, man. It's uh, it's starting to feel a little bit like it's not summer, which is it's nice. Uh, I lived in Wyoming before this, so uh, any sort of temperate environment, it's nice to to kind of I, I can put on a sweatshirt again, which is really nice for me. Yeah, it's it's great when we get to go on some of these SEC road trips because it then it feels like fall other places uh, here. Yeah, <laughs> not, not so much. Not, not so much. I mean, I guess we're in the '80s, which is technically like uh, uh, you know not summer uh, for us. Let's see. The the good old Apple Watch says it's uh, it's actually 79 right now on uh, in in the afternoon on a Thursday. So it's gonna That's it's gonna be lovely that. for you when you get here. Perfect. <laughs> awesome, man. Um, well, let's start with the way we always start these things. And what is the biggest uh, storylines, uh, points of interest for Ole Miss coming into this game? 
I think the big one is, is kind of obvious is, is, is how does this team bounce back from its first loss? Uh, things had gone and not necessarily, you know, super easily or smoothly uh, up to up to last week against LSU, but they were 7-0. They were a top 10 team. Um, they had pretty much been able to do everything they wanted for the most part, but we, we kind of saw signs of, of maybe things not being perfect in the game against Auburn when Auburn ran for 301 yards and Tulsa who's an air raid team. You know, when they're, when their backup quarterback, who's, who's a more mobile guy came in, they ran for 250 something and LSU and Jane Daniels is, an, is another mobile guy. And those sorts of offenses have given Ole Miss problems and they gashed him. I mean, Ole Miss really had no answers for that sort of running game. And so I think it's, it's, it's how do they, respond to they've been exploited people now know what the weakness is how you can beat Ole Miss um not just even on defense but uh you know they, they slowed down the offense too after that they got to a 17 to 3 start and they scored three points the rest of the game um, which was just really kind of unexpected because they had 200 yards of offense in the first quarter and then just nothing after that uh, so it's it, it, it's 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 going to be interesting to see how this, this staff plans around not just getting the morale back up and seeing how guys bounce back, but seeing how, you know, how, how, how do you, do you change the game plan? How, how do you fix you know, their, their problems with only a few games left? I mean, it, it's, you know, Lane Kiffin said that, you know, when you don't play, you know, no disrespect to Georgia Tech and Troy and Central Arkansas, uh, but those aren't super talented rosters compared to LSU and AM and Alabama and, and what's kind of coming down the road. And when you play against those teams early in the season, those really talented ones, you learn what your weaknesses are. But, but Ole Miss, you know, yeah, they got the, the nice start, but they didn't really get exposed until late in the season. How do you fix that run defense? How do you fix a run game that ran for a season low 117 yards after they were averaging like 217 coming in. How, how do you fix all those things? Not only uh, in such a short amount of time, but in another hostile environment with a, with, with a team that uh, Lane, Lane, Lane Kiffin was the, the, the portal King, but with that comes, you know, a lot of guys who don't have experience in these sorts of environments. I know you mentioned a little bit of a down run game for Ole Miss against LSU. Uh, I know probably at least a part of that was uh, uh, Zach Ev- missing Zach Evans, the kind of the two-headed running back threat that uh, Ole Miss has there. Do you expect him to to be back for this game? Maybe what's the the status of of him and and what has those, those that tandem been able to do that that has made Ole Miss one of the best uh, running offenses in the country? Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt Zach Evans was, uh, you know, there's uh, Lane talks about there's a reason that they do star ratings. You know, Zach was a five star kid coming out of high school before he went to TCU. He was really good there. He was really good here. Uh, he has been really good here. Uh, but, you know, there, I think there's a couple things that kind of contribute to the run game slowing down a little bit. One is obviously not having Evans and, and having, you know, Quinshawn Judkins has been amazing this year. He's a true freshman that's got 800 some yards and 12 touchdowns. I mean, he's been remarkable, but when you don't have another guy um, that you can, you know, switch in and out and you don't, you don't miss a step. Uh, it means Judkins has to play a lot of snaps. And I think that does, uh, and when, you know, when, when a guy is playing that many snaps and, and you can't bring in, 
you know, Ulysses Bentley is the guy who, um, you know, came in and, and he's dealing with injuries too. There's just, there's just not a lot there behind him. And so I think it changes things a little bit from that perspective. Um, they've also been, you know, Lane brought up that um, they are trying to run Jackson Dart less now. He'd been a, done, doing a really good job uh, running the ball over the, the last few games. And I think it's a preservation thing that, you know, you, you got to keep him healthy. Jackson Dart does not like to slide. He, he, he wants to, he wants to lower his shoulder. He's not willingly running out of bounds. So I, I think those sorts of things contribute in, in terms of, of Zach playing. It's interesting because he was warming up um, and doing all the stuff before the game. But as, as you know, some SEC coaches, it's, it's pretty hard to get, uh, information. I've I've always likened it to trying to get the nuclear codes uh, <laughs> with injury information from from Lane and uh, and and I get it. it it's gamesmanship. Um, I think there's I think there's two schools of thinking here. It's it's this is a really big game. And I think they know that. You've got a buy coming up. Do you do you give it a go and then if it doesn't work, you give him a week off, or do you give him the full extra? you know, two weeks, uh, if you, if he sits out this game. So, um, you know, I, I think we thought he was going to play last week, but we, we don't get to see a ton of practice, um, stuff, but, you know, Lane told us that, you know, he hadn't practiced all week. And, um, so it was, it was interesting to see him out there warming up. So it's, it's a 50, 50 shot. I think I don't want to say they need him because Quinchon Judkins is really good, but, uh, if, if Ole Miss wants to do the things it does and control the game and, and that just powerful one game that just kind of wears the guys down, they're going to need Evans and Judkins. Yeah. I, on the defensive side of the ball, I mean, I think it, this is slated up to be whichever run defense plays better because uh, you got Devon A. Chain on AM side. Haynes King is a little bit of a mobile quarterback when he's not banged up. Uh, whichever run defense steps up and is the better one is going to be the one that uh, wins this game. For the AM side, that relies on DJ Durkin, of course, the former Ole Miss defensive coordinator. Uh, what, what have you seen from Ole Miss's defense so far this year in their first year away from him? And is it a, is it a case of they've been able to, to find their stride or do you feel like he's a guy that they've, they've missed so far this season? I think there's a frustration um, from, I know, you know, obviously Twitter is not the barometer of, of what everybody thinks, but I know there are some people who are frustrated that, you know, maybe the, the defense hasn't, uh, adapted yet to, you know, it's liabilities in the run game. And, uh, you know, Ole Miss is, it's a three man rush and, and that's, that's what they do. And they, they like to play a lot of defensive backs and two linebackers. Cause that's kind of what their strength is. Um, but I, I, it's, it's, it's when you've been gashed the way they have the last couple of weeks in the run game, uh, something's got to give eventually. Right. And so um, I, I, you know, DJ Durkin did do an, an amazing job last year. But, you know, Partridge was doing a Chris Partridge, who's the, the play caller now, had been doing a really good job uh, the, for the first you know part of the season. Again, strength of schedule is a part of that when you're not playing, you know, the upper echelon uh, of teams and the numbers look really, really good. But, uh, you know, it's it's you go back to that Kentucky game. I think that's the, the game that Ole Miss tries to kind of remind itself of, of they held. You know, Will Levis and Chris Rodriguez was back to, you know, 19 points and they made the plays when they had to make them. That defense is still in there, and I think there's frustration that it's not there all the time. Like they know they have it in them, why isn't it there on a consistent basis? And 
uh, you know, Ole Miss is, is, is a little bit beat up. You know, again, we don't know what it's going to look like uh, come Saturday, but, you know, they lost their starting linebacker during the game. They lost their starting safety during the game. We don't know what the deal is with them, um, but th- those are two big-time, you know, run game defenders. And so it's uh, it, it's it, if, if the run defense does what it did the last two weeks, it's going to be a really, really, really long day for Ole Miss because – uh, it's uh, it, people know that's what you can do against them now. The, the book is out. You can run on Ole Miss as currently constructed. Yeah. So what is it that Ole Miss will need to do well in this game uh, to come out with the win? It, it's, it's simple, but they got to win up front, and that has been a problem the last couple of weeks. And, again, that, that goes to when you start playing the really good talent uh, LSU beat them up uh, up front. You know, Jackson Dart does a really good job of, of, of eluding pressure and stepping up in the pocket and making plays. But uh, you know, he's, they've, he's been sacked six times this year, which is not that many, but three of them came last week. And again, you saw at, at different points during the season, you know, maybe they were susceptible to, to some pass rush, but you can get away with it against certain teams, but when you start playing the LSUs and the AMs and you're getting beat up up front consistently, you're not going to be able to hide it. And so, and I think that goes on the defensive line too. You know, this is the deepest defensive line group that Ole Miss has had. They hit the portal really hard uh, on that front. And, um, it, but there's, there's moments when you can tell they're just not quite there yet. And, uh, you saw it against LSU. They got, they got moved off the ball. Um, you know, this wasn't, you know, it wasn't necessarily the running backs doing a ton for, for LSU, but Jane Daniels did, he got anything he wanted. And, uh, if, 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 if Haynes King and, 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 and Devin, uh, a chain can, can do that. They're, they're going to have success. And so it almost has to win up front. And I know that's the super obvious cliche thing that every coach says, but, uh, you know, they've been beat up, especially last week. And they, they look, you know, there was a 7-0 team and they were the talk of the town. Everyone was thinking, you know, New Year's 6, can they make the playoff? Well, now it's like, what is this team really? And so uh, I, I, I don't know how you just flip, you know, if you flip on a switch midseason and just start playing better up front, but they have to play better up front if they're going to do this. And it's a matchup of a head coach that hasn't necessarily pulled any punches uh, talking about A&M's program. And Jim, now, not to say that Lane Kiffin ever pulls any punches no, uh, with, no, with anything he thing. said, but uh, might factor in a little bit with uh, the, 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 at least a level of trolling that it, you could either call it trolling or you could call it a little bit disdain for, for what he believes is, is happening in, in Aggieland. Uh, uh, that, that might leak into it either on both sides. Yeah, I mean, Lane is never subtle uh, when he wants a message out there, uh, whatever that message might be. Uh, if he wants it out there, he's going to say it, and it's going to probably be really funny. Uh, you know, he had thoughts on on, on Jimbo Fisher and, and Nick Saban, you know, when that whole thing was happening, he tweeted the popcorn gif. I mean, I mean he's there's a part of him that, that, that I think people love because he's just watching it like the rest of us. Um, but... No, I mean he uh, he 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 tells it like it is on on those sorts of things, and yeah, I I, I know I saw your tweet yesterday when you know he said that uh, Ole Miss was outbid, and that's a that's a common theme, and it's just I saw it and I was like, of course you said it, that's, right? That's what right. he does. It's, it's, I think it's, it, that is my most 
engaged tweet I've ever had, save for when I tweeted that the all the running water went out in Bryant-Denny Stadium in 2016 and like the first quarter. So there, there, there maybe there's a common thread here. I don't know, uh, but we'll, we'll just have to uh, see when the, when the game gets here this weekend. Uh, Michael, let everyone know where they can find you on social media, where they can find your work if they want to get geared up from the Ole Miss side of things uh, leading up to this game. Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at Michael L. Katz, K-A-T-Z. You can find my work at djournal.com. It's Northeast Mississippi Daily Journal. The tweets aren't always good, but there's a lot of them. That's the only guarantee I can make. Well, and I'll, I'll just vouch for the guy with the, the middle initial L in the Twitter handle because that, I mean, that's how you know you're a good sports journalist. So do, do people ask me if I spell my name wrong. And sometimes I'm just like, yeah, I love it. I love it. Well, Michael, thanks so much for giving us a few minutes of your time. Thank you all for giving us a few minutes of your time, whether you're watching this on the video or listening on the, my Aggie nation podcast. Uh, we thank you so much for doing that. We'll be back next week with more previews of Texas A&M football. It seems like every day, everything just has a way, a way to must have the seams. But if we don't watch what we're doing, our hearts will get ruined by silly things. Good loving needs a girl, we know that's true. If we want to keep it, we gotta watch everything that we do. Make sure you're sticking with me. But I want to make sure that we'll be all that we can be, all that we can be, all the